Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. Hello, and welcome to Way Back When with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio's Authors Show with Books Forward. Today, we're excited to chat with Kimberly Hess, and she's joining us to talk about a biography that she wrote about the life of Sarah B. Cochran, known as the Coal Queen. It's out now. It's called A Lesser Mortal, The Unexpected Life of Sarah B. Cochran. And uh, you can get it now. It's out everywhere. Is it Cochran or Cochran? You know, everybody's got a different way. But welcome, Kimberly. Get Yeah, Cochran. Get get there. Because now this Sarah is actually like a distant relative, right? Right. She was my great-great-grandmother's cousin. Wow. So this is really interesting when we talk about women's history because... And I think this is what's really cool about your book, too, is you write her biography, but she's not like a famous person that we all know. And I think there's so many women, we don't know what they do, because at one point, women were livestock at one one point, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's like, whenever they were doing anything in business, it was really the man's name on it, or they were put as a widow, right? And that's the same thing for Sarah. Right. Yeah, many times her um, expertise or her responsibilities just weren't necessarily recorded. If you look at different records, um, and if you were trying to find her, I think it would be difficult to find her if you didn't already know where to look. Mm-hmm. So, Sarah, you know, you look at her life. So there's philanthropy, right? right? And so that is a lot of times what women did, especially back then. It was there, if especially if they had a, a well off husband it's like okay we're philanthropy but they still had their finger in some of the business dealings especially she did was that kind of covered over when you were doing research about her about you know being more than philanthropy well it's interesting because it's represented a little differently in different places and I think it had Hmm. something to do with what the writer knew of her at the time And maybe some of it just had to do with how records were kept, too. Um, I noticed that local newspapers seem to talk about her philanthropy and her business dealings. But in other places, as you got further away from the locality where she was from, she was known more as the coal magnate's widow or as a philanthropist. And in Mm -hmm. one brief obituary for her, it was about three sentences long. She was called a philanthropist. Her husband was considered the business person. Mm-hmm. And the, so it's delineated very differently in different records. Even the census for an occupation just wrote a blank space in one case, in none another year. And <laughs> she had the same responsibilities as her husband did. And he had an actual occupation listed in the census when he was alive. I think as Coke manufacturer. Um, So, you know, it suggested that he was doing something 
but she was still being portrayed as the coal magnate or the capitalist's husband, uh, wife, sorry, instead mm -hmm. of magnate in her own right. This is interesting too, because you talk about the coal, you know, the coal queen, right? And then also it was coal and Coke. And so Nancy and I both said, you know, when you come on the show, we need to talk about what Coke is because there's Coke, Coca-Cola, and then there's the cocaine. And this is, uh -huh. Coke, yes. Right? So let's talk about what Coke is just to clear that up now. <laughs> right. So the Coke that we're talking about is a byproduct of coal and it's made from bituminous coal. That's the softer coal that you find in Western Pennsylvania. Um, basically, if you take bituminous coal out of the ground and put it in a brick oven for several days so that it can heat or bake for um, you know, several thousand degrees for a couple of days, you end up with this product called coke um, that's getting closer to pure carbon. And that's used in the steel making process. So that's what coke so lucrative. Mm -hmm for people like the Cochrane family and Henry Clay Frick, who's more associated with that industry than the Cochrane's. And I know her life is also part of Pennsylvania. And, you know, this last year during COVID, we did do a lot of travel through Pennsylvania. And, you know, just even before we recorded, we found out we didn't know really where we were. <laughs> we did all, we went all over, but what was one of the places that well, we went to um, Lancaster, uh, Lancaster Ridge, okay, in Pennsylvania. So that's more the Amish country, right? And right. then we went, we were in Chad's Ford on the Brandywine Creek area. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, we, you know, we did all these bed and breakfasts. We went up to Easton, Pennsylvania. Um, but when Easton, Pennsylvania and Erie, Pennsylvania, both were very industrial history, like Eastern Pennsylvania, you know, the beginning of Crayola, our crayons, you know, um, and then Easton was so industrial. It was interesting. I mean, they had uh, the millionaire's row kind of thing. And a lot of that happened in a lot of the back, you know, the cities we went to back East had these or the silk stocking row or whatever they would have a different title of being, this is the Lottie Daw place and we manufactured, but I remember steel being a big deal. So that's what they were part of. They were, you know, all these towns made it because, and Carnegie, you got to think about Carnegie and steel, right? And right. Uh, so mm -hmm. they, that wouldn't have happened without them, Susan, uh, right. Sarah's husband and her. Right. And there were other um, operators working in coal and coke in that region at the time that are generally unknown by this point, but that whole area was so prosperous from coal and coke because that the product that they were creating as coke was cheaper to produce than what could be produced from the coal closer to Pittsburgh. And it was considered a superior product when it was all said and done too. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of prosperity in the Connellsville region of Southwestern Pennsylvania and Fayette County and the surrounding areas around 1900 and the late 19th century. Wow. So how did the, the other companies view uh, her coming, you know, when Sarah comes into this whole thing and, and now she's taking over from her husband, um, did you find very much information on how the other companies viewed her? No, um, because the information 
I was going with was public information like um, the Pennsylvania mining reports that didn't really mm -hmm. get into so much. It was more statistical and more mm -hmm. information about what the industry was doing. Um, I would also look at historic newspapers and I could see a little more detail about what she was doing and in some cases how she was interacting with other people in the industry. Mm -hmm. But I never came across a diary or letters from her where she kind of laid out her feelings about any interactions. Um, the closest thing that I found was a historic newspaper article from December 1904 that was local to where she lived. And it was talking about the man who was a, a manager in her largest coal and coke operation and how he was hosting what was known as a smoker at that time. Um, a smoker was an event for men only because the assumption was that they would be smoking and that wasn't appropriate for women to do. So it was automatically all male. And it was an event where men from the coal industry, the railroads, banks, even one that Sarah founded or was credited with founding were all invited. And then she is listed as being there, but not as a guest but to help the man's daughters provide pleasant entertainment and conversation. So it's not clear. Okay. Hello. <laughs> yeah. It's clear that she doesn't quite fit into the industry at that point. It's not clear if this man was inviting her and trying to find a way to shoehorn her into the sort of social norms of the time so that she could be among her peers in a way mm -hmm. that would otherwise be socially acceptable. Um, you know, that was, I think, the closest thing that I found to information about how she fit. Um, I had heard when I was growing up, just within my own family, that Henry Clay Frick really looked at her business as her husband's. And I never really heard what that meant. And there wasn't any particular story to go with that. But I did come across information at a very general level about um, division of, of business and home life between men and women in the 19th century and the fact that um, business and politics were really seen as a man's world and sure. we long there at the time and women were considered you know the moral authority in the home and all of this so I think what my family might have been talking about when they would talk about uh, Frick's perception of her in business was really just what everybody thought of of women's places in the 19th century. But I think I think women, they say behind every great man is a great woman. I think that women really did have a role. It just was, you know, the men came out and did what they wanted to do, but women talked to them and helped make, helped make decisions all the time. And Sarah and her mother-in-law were even listed on deeds for the sale of two um, mines with their, um, horses and mules and small railroads that went through it. I mean, it was clearly an industrial operation and not just somebody's house with a garden shed or something. So it's wow. it wasn't clear to me exactly how they were involved in the business, if at all, um, or, or what was going on. But it, it seemed like maybe their husbands saw them. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, 
You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to, because you can do it, if you have the right tools, and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. A little more equally than what society saw women generally at the time. So doing the research of this, I find this fascinating. I know, Nancy, you know, we do so much on family history on our shows. It becomes mm-hmm. a thing. And, and um, the research you went through, I think, is something that can inspire others to research our women history. I mean, the men is a little bit like you're saying, it's a little bit easier to find, but maybe right. not for women. Any tips on like, you know, just what you just were saying also about like, oh, there was a smoker event. And, you know, normally we may just bypass that because you don't see her name immediately or it's not like a ta-da, Sarah was here. You know, we need to look at some of the other things that are male-centric, basically, to find where the women fit in. Right. Yeah. I mean, I found a lot of information about her by going to the organizations that she was associated with, either through her donations or where she served as a trustee. Um, or a church, the church that she built in Dawson had some information about her. Um, but I think generally, you know, it's good to try to read different histories about women in particular eras to know a little bit about what's going on. And that generally provides clues about what sorts of documents and sorts of places might hold information about particular women. Mm. Um, you know, I did some reading um, of Alice Kessler Harris's book, Out to Work, that was about women's labor, and that was very eye-opening and presented another perspective on what women were doing that might give people ideas if they are interested in doing research on women who worked or on women who were wealthy enough, like Sarah, that they didn't necessarily have to work. Um, so that was very helpful in this case. And a lot of it, too, was genealogical information that I had done years ago um, through her mother's side of the family, who was um, a sibling to my third great-grandfather. So sometimes general genealogical information and research helps to uncover a lot about these women. Wow. This Mm. is cool. I mean, when you think about women's roles and how they've changed through history and, and I think we've always, like like I said, had our finger in the pie. We've always done it. And just we have to just dress up how we say it. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, we may not get the title, but in 100 years we do, you know. So going into this, was this more of a, a women's movement thing for you? Or did it just, did you just get really go down a rabbit hole of family history? I mean, it, it's because it, this was not a couple years research. Yeah, it was interesting because I've always felt very strongly about helping to advance women. I mean, I went to, Mm -hmm. as I wanted to study at a college that had a legacy of educating women to do anything that men had done and and doing this before women were even admitted at some colleges. And um, it was partially just the way I was brought up. I was always told stories about the women in my family who were involved in the suffrage movement or, Mm. or other things. And that was how I knew of Sarah to begin with. Um, but for me, I came to writing the book because about, I guess, six years ago, 
I took my husband to southwestern Pennsylvania so he could see where my family was from. And he started Googling Sarah when I was telling him about her and he couldn't find information about her online. And he said, no, you should put something online. You could write a Wikipedia entry for her. And I liked that idea. So I did a little bit of research and wrote Wikipedia entry. And then I started doing a couple of blog posts for some museums um, and decided from there that I was doing enough research and answering some questions and starting to find more questions that I wanted to learn more about. It just kind of organically led writing a book, even though that wasn't the original intention. Mm. Wow. I, I think it's exciting because, yeah. it, you know, I think you also bring up a point of, you know, this research and you go to museums in a town, sometimes you don't know much about the town, but you go in these small museums and you'll see like one photo of somebody, mm -hmm. a, a woman, maybe a grand, you know, with their grandchild, like you're the intro of your book, you've got, you know, your mm -hmm. photo in there. And um, you know, who were these women? What were they doing? And we got it. We've got to ask. I mean, we don't all have to write a book, but I think even just getting involved and sharing these women's stories, you'll start to dig and find that they did far more than what we know, far yeah. more, because it was kind of, you know, oh, she's a good lady. <laughs> she's <laughs> she's, so, nice. she's yeah. so special. The wife <laughs> and the mother wife and mother keep the house clean or at least look over it to make somebody's keeping it clean yeah and so. even now we're still fighting stuff you know it's like and, and if we don't keep sharing these stories I think um you know it it we look at women moving forward in life that we need to have that aspiration of women before us mm -hmm. because you know we each generation has their you know, case of challenges and each challenge is going to be different. But one thing that stays true is like not giving up and finding a way. And so those stories are really important. And it's not always the famous women that should be the important story, even though she, she was, excuse me, but badass. Such a gracious. It's I think there, way, yeah. there used to be this feeling that women were not supposed to delve into money matters. It was unseemly to be looking at money and to be able to, like, even if you were a uh, bookkeeper, you weren't supposed to be able mentally to have the concept of saving money, investing money, using money. You know, you were just like, oh, go take care of it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think when, when, you know, when we look back in history at where women used to be and where we are, we have really come forward a lot further than, than we sometimes think. If you really look at some of the things that you, were, you weren't supposed to do and what we have done. It's like now there's a lot of women lawyers and a lot of women accountants and, and CPAs where and a vice I, president. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying, you know, whatever side you like, but I mean there's still a woman vice president. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's strange too to think about how some things have taken so long to change because mm -hmm. when I 
about that article about the smoker event in 1904, I think about uh, Muriel Siebert being the first woman to have a seat on the New York Stock Exchange. And there was a story mm -hmm. in the obituary, I, I don't know if it was in the last 10 years or so, but um, it talked about how the meetings that different organizations that she was a part of on Wall Street were still meeting in all male clubs in New York City oh, in the 60s when she was coming to this, um, this particular um, part of her career. And she had to walk through the kitchen and up a fire escape to oh. get to the meeting room where was you know the only woman in the room and I thought about that different times mm. since reading about Sarah Smoker where you know we know you're part of the group but we can't really talk about how you're part of the group publicly because that will offend certain sensibilities or something or mm. or the rules haven't caught up to what the reality is yet. Oh wow so it's really hard if you're mm. researching to be able to find that information because it's not written down because it's a no-no at that point. And then I think so. unless the woman wrote it down somewhere in her journal or something. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of probably come up in journals and diaries or letters. Mm -hmm. And I was in letters between her and certain women like Ida Tarbell, who was on, um, she was associated with Allegheny College at the same okay. time was um, an alumna representative to the board of trustees when Sarah was the first female trustee at the college, but there doesn't seem to be correspondence between the two in Ida's papers. What was Sarah's, um, her maiden name? Uh, Moore. Moore. So she's got, you know, English heritage yes. then maybe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I know her father's family was supposed to have migrated from Massachusetts to Western Pennsylvania. Mm. And I'm related to her on her mom's side. And that side, um, which is the Herberts, actually traces to Monmouth County, New Jersey in the revolution and to a common ancestor that we have who was um, in the military on the American side in the revolution and then found his way to Western Pennsylvania and ultimately to central Ohio. Oh, wow. So did you go any further back into England and Scotland, Wales history with any of the genealogy? No, it's interesting because when you start looking at the Herberts in Monmouth County, there's all of the speculation about how the Herberts got here from England. And it seems to get into legend and, and folklore rather than actual hmm. facts. And I don't have um, experience with um, genealogical research before the revolution so much. So I, I didn't want to get into yeah. too much of that. I thought the was a good stopping point. Um, but one of the myths that comes up when you're doing research on that particular family is, are they descended from English earls or not? Mm -hmm. um, it seems like, but it was interesting to me because there were times when Sarah wasn't accepted in society in Western Pennsylvania because she was from such humble financial beginnings. And it's, it's interesting to me that she may be descended from English royalty and wasn't accepted in certain society. Wow. wow, we're gonna we're gonna have to connect you with Glenn, our friend Glenn. Mm -hmm. He's our family history expert over in Norfolk, England, and we do oh, we, okay. we connect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have an English connection story as we travel. Like, 
Um, I know you work with Books Board. We do um, literary landmarks across the country where we document, okay. you know, stories. So when we get to Eastern Pennsylvania, we'll be calling you okay. <laughs> to say, hey, we were here in Sarah's land. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, we'll have to contact him on this because maybe he mm -hmm. can like do some research on that side. You never know. But it is, do you feel like when you were doing this that you started unraveling other women's stories uh, beyond Sarah? Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel anytime. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to, because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. I unraveled more of my great-grandmother's story than I necessarily knew before because I grew up knowing that Sarah put her through college to be a teacher. And then she didn't teach very long because she got married and she had three children. Mm. Um, this really forced me to look at information about my great-grandmother a little bit differently or in more depth. Um, I have her yearbook from what's now Indiana University of Pennsylvania and saw information about how she played basketball when she was there. Wow. I'd always she played oh. basketball, but I found out that she was um, the guard on the team and that they defeated, um, I think, some other colleges in a championship with Ohio. So it, it sounded like she had this great experience in college. And I included a picture from her room in the book just to show an example of women studying in college around 1917 or 1918. Um, because, because so many times pictures of men. Yes, pictures mm -hmm. of men. And then even 1917, you got to think, Nancy, even when you mm -hmm. wanted to go to college, your father's like, that's it, you're a nurse. That's the only thing yeah. you can be a teacher you can or be a nurse. A teacher or a nurse. Yeah. And that's, you know, yeah. you've got to think like, about, yeah. No, I don't want to be a nurse for sure. <laughs> No, but, you know, it, no, but it, it's, it's interesting because there's so much about women that is um, written and you don't know how much the times influence the writing. So how much of what you're reading is true and right. how much of it are they going by guidelines that are accepted, you know, so that the, the women come out almost looking like they're all the same unless somebody's really bad and does something <laughs> really crazy then then you're like oh this is a villainous woman or like somebody um you know and you like in the old west you look at people like annie oakley and and now she's gonna get her shotgun out and all that kind of thing you unless there's somebody really really different it's really hard to find information that you can rely on about women. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I never knew until I was working on the book that Sarah was associated with her son's fraternity. Um, mm -hmm. Her son died in college and he was a member of Phi Kappa Psi. So after he died, she became involved financially as a benefactor and built a house for the fraternity at Allegheny College, bought a house for the wow. chapter at West Virginia University, but the West Virginia University um, chapter, the, the Alpha chapter, had 
so much information about Sarah in their chapter history book. Wow, and they cool. seemed to appreciate her to the point that the chapter even named their fraternity house for her when they moved wow. a few years after she died. That's wow. So I thought that was, yeah, because a lot of women in her era seem to be philanthropically involved. They seem to get involved with things like the kindergarten movement or orphanages mm -hmm. or something very maternal. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of perplexed when I saw the association with the fraternity, but it made perfect sense as I thought more about her son being involved and the fact that the fraternity chapter in um, Morgantown really viewed her as the mother of the fraternity chapter. So she was still taking wow. on that maternal role, but just in a different way and, and basically keeping in touch with grown men that she might be able to mentor or network with. Mm -hmm. uh, was a different way of being a maternal figure to kindergarten students or orphans. Mm. Wow. That's interesting. It's different. And then at the same time, she really cared a lot about education, which I think is yeah. important too. That seems to be mm -hmm. her, you know, move forward, get education and invest in that, but right. hands-on. Yeah. Mm. Yeah was putting people through college very quietly. I mean, we don't even know who she put through college without oh, wow. people's descendants self-identifying, assuming that they know. Um, mm. But you know, she was involved as a trustee at American University and at Allegheny and at Beaver College. And she built a dormitories at um, Otterbein University and at Allegheny College. So wow. for someone who had little education herself and probably really wanted to be educated as she was growing up. She was very involved and saw the value in it and um, easily could have just said, I didn't have that much education and look what I have. So why does anyone else need it? But she took mm -hmm. a very different approach. Huh, that's interesting. And, and it's mm -hmm. interesting that she was looking at, you know, men too, and young men and, and helping them. I think you know, that's something interesting, because I think when you look at even today, like the women's movement is almost negates men. And how do we all come together if we don't have that connection and learning together? So I, I think it's good what she was doing mm -hmm. on that level, because men have to learn more about women and not just be led by men, you know? Right. <laughs> right. And I wonder if that has anything to do with the fact that she was the only woman in this industry of mm. coal manufacturing. She was just very comfortable working with men and understood that she needed to be a certain sort of diplomat to be able to survive in um, an industry and in, in, in a time when there weren't going to be that many other people like her um, working mm. with her. Mm. Yeah, it's a, well, yeah, because I know a lot of women in, in construction world and it's a different, they, they felt like they can have water on their backs. Like, you know, they're like a duck. They're like, okay, we can hear anything. We can handle anything, but there is yeah. that connection. And um, yeah, it is a little different. So I wonder if it is more that way, you know, when, when back in the day, when, when you think about the mining times, you know, mining is an industry, it's a hard industry, yeah. but it's also, um, you know, it also has its lottie daw side. <laughs> where yeah. people go to fancy balls and all of that you know so yeah. you know with this book coming out um what is when you said okay I'm going to start writing this 
I mean, did you feel like you were rabbit holing? Did you feel like, oh my gosh, how am I going to be, you know, I mean, how much work? I can just kind of see you burrowing when like a gazillion papers and traveling around and getting documents everywhere. And just, you know, how did you kind of be able to rein it all in to get the, the pathway of the book? Well, I made an outline based on the sorts of questions that I wanted to answer. And I really hoped that I could find more information about what agency she had in business and what she was doing exactly and exactly what companies she owned because she's spoken of with respect to the industry. But then when you want to find out exactly what she owned, it's a little more difficult. Mm. Um, but I had to just set my own parameters. I wasn't going to research her travels overseas because it just seemed like that might not add as much to the story and it could be a lot of extra work, possibly you know, outside of what I would have the capacity to do. Um, there were some other areas too. Um, you know, I didn't wanna get into writing house histories about Linden Hall or histories of particular structures. I wanted to talk about what might've been important to her or how she might've used that particular structure, but I didn't wanna get into you know, deeds that passed between different people for land. Um, I just had to decide where I was drawing the line for any of that. Um, yeah, Cause she had a big life. She did, yeah. And it's, it's interesting mm -hmm. how documentation there is and how much there isn't. Uh, mm. I, like, I was hoping to find more about her business work. And in a lot of cases, the records don't exist anymore for particular companies. Or if there are any records, maybe an individual mm. might have them in a collection, but I don't know who that would be. Um, mm. wow. so, you know, you're depending on the state mining reports and historic newspapers to determine when she was buying and selling different mines or to learn that she had lease agreements with other companies to work in mines that she owned. Cool. So there were certain things that I just outlined as areas that I wanted to know more about. And then as I went on with research, it seemed like doors opened and there were more threads of, of information. Yeah. Um, for example, you know, the fraternity association was a surprise, but I found out that she had Henry J. Hines at her house for lunch when she was hosting the Methodist bishops of the world for their semi-annual meeting. Wow. It was the first mm -hmm. time at a private residence that these bishops had met. And I wondered what would have brought Hines to this meeting. So I found a brief biography of him and it was talking about how he was involved in the Pennsylvania State Sabbath School Association that was involved with Sunday school at the time mm -hmm. in the US and overseas. And I remembered seeing um, my great grandmother's certificate from that organization from mm -hmm. about 1915 or so. Mm -hmm. And I contacted the Historical Society of Pennsylvania and asked them to check in their records. It was during COVID, so I couldn't go myself but they have the records for the organization and they were able to check and confirm that she actually financed um, or sponsored a particular universal exposition of Sunday schools in 1907 in Rome. And I had never heard wow. anything about that. So sometimes just one question, like in this case about Heinz being at lunch led to all of this other information about things that she did and things that she might've been involved with. Mm. And just because of 
the issues. I chose not to keep following the the Sunday school information or mm. to do her travel overseas. You could, yeah, because that's what I say, talk about a rabbit hole. You could keep going and going mm-hmm. and going yeah. and never, never get the book out, right? Do you, right. do you feel like what you've done also inspires other women to research women in their history to, to document it, their lives? I hope it, I hope it does. I mean, that was one of the um, reasons I wanted to write it because I think there are so many people, women especially, like you were saying, who just aren't part mm-hmm. of the historical narrative or they're known very well locally, but when people move away or as populations get older, then perhaps that person's memory mm. isn't known well. And there's a question of where the documents about those women go. Um, and in some cases, it's not always women. I mean, Sarah's father-in-law pioneered the Coke industry, and we associate Frick with the Coke industry of southwestern Pennsylvania, and we don't know Sarah's father-in-law so much. So I I hope it inspires people to write about women or to donate artifacts about women to museums and archives so that researchers can find that. But in some cases, it'll be men that they're writing about or or donating information to. Do you have a sense of her personality? It's hard to say because sometimes I feel like I just project my own family member's personality (laughs) Mm -hmm. in a way because there are the people that I um, came in contact with. I mean, from what I've heard from other people in Western Pennsylvania, she seemed like she was very sharp. Mm -hmm. And there was an article in uh, the Religious Telescope, which was the United Brethren Church's newspaper that specifically said that you know, many educated men and men of you know, high station essentially sometimes tried to get things past her and they couldn't. Oh, so I got cool. the impression that you know, mm-hmm. shrewd, she knew what was going on and she was the type of person who would stand up for herself. But she also struck me as someone who would have been very diplomatic just because of the approach that she took with her suffrage rally or tea. Sometimes it was rally, sometimes it was called a tea. Um, you know, and the fact that she didn't seem to do things to glorify herself to other people. So she seemed to have a sense of humility about herself. Um, when she built her mansion, it was on about 600 acres of land several miles outside of town. Wow. So she wasn't building that everybody had to walk past it every day and mm. you know, behold the, the mm-hmm. grandeur or something. Mm. It was really for her. Oh, so mm. she wasn't on the millionaire's row. She had her millionaire's acreage more because the millionaire's rows. I yes. mean, it's so interesting going in that, you know, like Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and uh, Michigan, they all, you know, the manufacturing areas, it just blew my mind. You'd go to a place like Erie, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and this is where the waffle machine maker came from. And you'd be like, oh, you know, okay, cool. <laughs> they don't just come from hotels. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you have the little express mm-hmm. waffle thing. But anyway, no, but it's, it's interesting mm-hmm. about how that area was. And you think about these women and you think about history. I mean, it was still very new. I mean, we were still such a young country at that point. And here's mm-hmm. these, here are these women doing things, you know. Um, the museum part, you know, is interesting too. As we travel, we go to a lot of museums and we talk about what 
what is going to happen as we move forward? What is happening with artifacts and papers? And a lot of them are digitizing um, everything as much as they can. I mean, there's, there's a lot of financial and, you know, sweat equity that goes into that. Um, and so I think part of what's so beautiful about what you're doing too, and, and for those doing this, even just going in and researching genealogy, you're letting a museum know where there's interest and you're kind of giving that little prompt sure. to protect certain things. And even when you put it into a book, there's some kind of documentation that goes further afield. And when you're doing the research, you're letting the museum know, hey, this is important. So mm -hmm. things kind of don't get shelved away. And I know museums don't want to do that at all. So I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it kind of gives a little catalyst to take mm -hmm. care of things where sometimes, especially women, we can get brushed off a little bit and we have yeah. in history. So yeah. it's important. I think books are so important because especially those are digitized, you know? Yeah. And when I was putting this together, I was talking with my editor about it and we agreed that the bibliography should include all of the newspaper articles that had been used, even though that's not for sure. typical for a bibliography. But I wanted it to be the breadcrumb trail for someone else who wanted to do mm. research on Sarah or if someone was thinking about doing research on someone else and wanted a prototype or wanted ideas for sources, they could look at the bibliography in this book and get some ideas because I didn't have special access to any particular um, archives or organizations. It was just a matter of calling or emailing and talking to people about what I was doing and putting that together. So you know, anyone else would be able to contact college and university archives and historical societies and, and anything like that and do something similar depending on how much is available. And when I was doing this, I um, had a couple of primary sources that had been in the family that I donated to Methodist archives just so that they'll have something about Sarah in their collection if someone's doing research women in the Methodist church or churches that women built in the Methodist church. So that was kind of nice to know that something was getting out of my file cabinet and into the hands mm. of an organization to digitize it and make it available to anyone in the country, sure. in the world. I know. That's so nice. our friend Glenn may be mm. researching her, you know, doing it the other way around. Where mm -hmm. did you go in America yeah, from England? You know, <laughs> um, in in your background, you know, in, in business, and I know you've done a lot of studying and, and also understanding marketing. And, and did anything change for you through the research and writing of this book as a woman now in the world of business and thinking about, OK, now versus Sarah, anything new for you that you kind of went, huh? you know, some kind of learning thing mm. from all of it? I think it was more in the course of deciding to write the book. I thought about women I knew in my business career who were so interested in stories like these, whether they were obscure women from history or well-known women from history. They just seemed to really enjoy hearing the stories. And um, in some cases, you know, well, I was on the board of um, an employee resource group for women at the company that I worked at for a number of years. And we would have a women's history 
programming. So we would have a few lunch and learns throughout the month about different subjects relating women's history to maybe something that our company was doing. So people had an hour to sit and learn something about women's history. And depending, you know, this could be someone who was just out of college or someone who was near retirement. It could be someone who had never really studied history since college or high school. Mm -hmm. So the background relationship to the subject may or may not be there. But people just loved that opportunity to learn and to get information in kind of like small bites. Mm. So that was part of what informed me when I was writing this book. I wanted it to be something that anybody could read without necessarily knowing a lot of background on the person or the industry or the region and something mm. that wouldn't be 100 or 600 pages to read because a lot of people just don't have the time. So it had to be short and and that came being in business mm. oh yeah get right down mm. to it yep, yep. <laughs> we know about that <laughs> yep. edit 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 mm -hmm. i know well thank you so much for number one writing the book and uh mm -hmm. everybody's out uh, it's out now and uh here it is the title is uh the life of sarah b cochran the coal queen um, oh, excuse me. That's her name. That's her name. You know what she's doing, but it's called a lesser mortal. See the title that blows my mind. I love that a lesser mortal, uh, the unexpected life of Sarah B. Cochran. So a lesser mortal. That's an interesting choice for the title. A lesser mortal. Yeah, I, I thought that next to Carnegie and Frick, she was kind of outside of history, outside of the historical narrative and getting treated like a lesser mortal in mm. their particular, even though there was nothing lesser about her. Mm. Um, and her life unexpected in the sense that she probably didn't grow up expecting to do half the things that she ended up doing. I don't think anyone expects to find a woman running these businesses in her place and time. And I never expected to write the book about her. So it's just unexpected on a lot of levels too. Right hmm. on. Well, everyone, cool. you can get on cool. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all mm -hmm. those places, but also go to your independent bookstore and uh, ask for it if it's not there. So check it out. Um, do you have a website or a blog or should people just go get the book? Um, I think it's just easier to get the book or I, at this point, we've been using the Amazon authors page for any media okay. about it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you awesome. so much. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. It's cool. Thanks.